Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God. You may be seated, church family. If you're at home, you can take a seat. Praise God. Man, it's good to sing, isn't it? Man, we were reflecting on this earlier. You know, there, there are times in our lives that the words that we speak, we know them to be true when we're declaring praises to God, when we're affirming who he is. But then there's other times where we know it's true, but our heart ain't feeling it. You know what I mean? Where, 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 where what's in your mind ain't connected with your heart, and yet we still got to keep praising. We got to still keep declaring because what we know to be true is what remains the same, whereas how we feel can shift from one day to the next. And so we hold and anchor ourselves on what is true and not based on how we feel. You with me, family? And so by declaring God's praises, we're saying, God, I know this is true. Maybe I'm not even feeling it right now, but I know it's true. So God, I pray that as I speak truth, you would shape my heart so that how I feel can match what I know. And so we keep praising and we keep praying, we keep declaring, and we keep rooting ourselves in God's word and God's truth. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, again, I want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brook. Thank you all for who are joining online, watching us wherever you are at. I'm grateful for our worship team, man. Thank you for your faithfulness, for our, our sound crew, our cleaning crew between services, and just thankful for all who are serving uh, to make this happen. You know, as, as, we, as we gather each Sunday, we, we want to worship God. We want to worship him through our obedience, through our song, and we also want to worship him through our giving. And through our giving is how God continues to fund the work that he is doing here at the Brook. It's a privilege and opportunity we all have. God loves a joyful giver, and honestly, we have reasons to be joyful givers. Because through our, our small resources, God has a way of doing things of eternal value. Isn't that crazy? Uh, 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 some dollar bills that we use to invest in the kingdom work can make a difference for eternity? Like this piece of paper? And God, God's like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use those little things you give. And I'm going to change people's lives through the work that you're doing. And, man, I just want you all to continue to give joyfully. There are at least four different ways you can give at the brook. You can text to give. You can give online. You can give today at the back of the, in the foyer, in the, the offering box. Um, or you can drop off or gift uh, or text. And so we just want you to give and give joyfully. Give uh, with a heart of gratitude. I'm going to pray as we get ready to dive in God's word. Our city is going through a lot, church. There's been a lot going on. Uh, we had a prayer gathering on Wednesday evening at Bell Park, and we were able to, to disseminate into different parts of the neighborhood, which is really dope to stand on a corner and pray over homes and parts of our community. Our city's hurting. Our city's hurting really bad. Um, our police officers are hurting. Our teachers, um, there are communities, neighborhoods feel neglected or taken advantage of or abused. And there are people who are, who are undocumented migrants who are struggling, who are afraid. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. This past Friday, I was at the 25th District Police Department uh, working there with police officers and how we can better support them to care for our neighborhoods. And, and one officer in particular was moved to tears through a pastor's praying over them. And just reminds us, like, we're carrying weights and burdens and, and people we don't even realize are carrying them. And we're the church. And we have opportunities to carry burdens with people infused with the hope of Jesus. And because of that, I think we need to pray. So would you bow your head with me? Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we, we know that the days we live in, in are, are, are very unique. God, Nobody saw coming the things we're faced with except for you. God, nothing has taken you by surprise. God, you, you didn't wake up and wonder. <laughs> but Lord, you hold the world in your hand. And so Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We pray that your spirit would pour out over our city. You would revive churches, unite churches. God, help us remember that we are about your kingdom, Lord. Not about our little tribe. Lord, we want the gospel of Jesus to go out. So we pray that you protect our police officers. For those who have sworn to serve and protect and, and do so with a, a striving to be upright, God, protect them. Use them, Lord. May their tribe increase, Lord. And Father, for those officers perhaps who, uh, 
who have a hardened heart or even those who've abused their authority, God, would you correct their ways or remove them from authority? Lord, we pray for our, our teachers who are just overwhelmed with life and school and our parents who are feeling the same way. Would you support and come alongside of them? Father, we pray for those neighborhoods, particularly, God, in the south and west sides who who just don't know, have a, have a poor relationship with law enforcement and government and, and many youth, God, who are hurting and don't know how to take out their anger and they've taken it out in the worst of ways by rioting. And, and God, we know that they're just bent up hurt and we pray, God, that they would see that Jesus is one who would never let them down. We pray for our communities where there are migrant workers who are unemployed and, and can't get government assistance who are wondering where their meals are going to come from or how they're going to pay rent. God, we pray that you would be their sufficiency, God, that you would provide. Lord, may we, your church, rise up. Help us think about others and take cues from our Savior who looked not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others who himself, though in the form of God, considered equality with God a thing not to be grasped, but made himself a human, taking the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May he be the one, God, that we take our cues from. So, Lord, uh, may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see as we open your word. And God, I pray we'd be radical in our obedience. For anyone who's listening and watching online or here in person who doesn't know you, may they today have an encounter with the living God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, man, I'm excited to get in God's word with you all today. Uh, it feels like every week something new is hitting us, huh? Y'all with me on that? We had like a tornado in Chicago last week. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, what is going on? You know, uh, Erica and I were having a meeting on Zoom with somebody, and we're in our living room, and our, our, our back door, back window is to our left, and we're talking with this guy, and he's talking to us. And in the corner of our eye, we see our gazebo, our beloved gazebo <laughs> that we purchased from Aldi earlier this summer, and have been in every day. It just kind of it lifted up, and it just disappeared. And we looked at the guy. I said, hey, our gazebo just flew away. We got to go, man. <laughs> Went outside. This thing is mangled in the corner. I'm like, trees are falling. And we're like, what is going on? Lightning strikes. Things are blowing up. I mean, what, what was happening to us, church? This, this is 2020 Chicago. You know, the next morning... Obviously, by 6 o'clock, the sun was out again, right? The next morning, I go out of my backyard uh, to sit down where our gazebo previously was, uh, where I do my devotion, spend my time with the Lord. And I sat down at the table. I, I kid you not, I said out loud as I was praying, like, Max, man, God, I feel so vulnerable without a covering. And the Lord's like, yes. Yes. And the moment I said that, I was like, God, what truth is here? That, God, you are the covering over my life. And through faith in Jesus, he keeps us secure. But when we step outside of that covering and walk according to our flesh and walk away from God, we are vulnerable, church. We're in danger. And so that little moment of, of not having a gazebo over my head, God communicated a spiritual reality. And what he wants from all of his children, if you are here today, you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. And his will for your life is that you would be faithful to him. That you would not step outside of your walk with Jesus. That you would say, God, I want to follow you with my life. Because in our day, and every day this is true, we're confronted with these pressures to try to gauge success in our lives by all kinds of of, of, of metrics. And what happens is if we're not careful, we're gauging success based on things that can shift from one day to the next. And what happens then is we begin to become despairing. But God's like, I gauge success. He tells us he gauges success by our faithfulness to him. There have been many uh, men and women of God throughout all of history who have been faithful to God but by a world's point of view, have appeared to be unsuccessful. Jeremiah was thrown in a pit. Daniel, we'll see, was thrown in a pit. Jesus was crucified. 
And yet these all and others were faithful. We want to live faithful lives. And today, the thrust I want to give you as a prayer is just, God, I just want to be faithful. Can you say that? I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful. Today, we're going to take a look at what faithfulness looks like. We're going to see from Daniel's life, this man in the Bible, this faithful man, what it looked like for him to be faithful when there was a tornado-like wind blowing around him. What it looked like to be faithful when life was uncertain. Daniel now is an old man in his 70s, perhaps 80s, and I'm sorry if you are in your 70s or 80s. I don't mean to offend, but you're old as well, right? You're old. You're, You're experienced. Daniel was there. He was seasoned in his faith. And what we see from Daniel, though, is a man who is faithful from the time of his youth to where we see him today. Today, we're going to take a look at a passage in the Bible that is known to be the most famous story of Daniel. It is Daniel in the lion's den, right? We, we've heard this story. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you've heard about it. And a lot of times, we, we picture these cuddly little lions. You know, maybe you heard about it in Sunday school, and, and Daniel's there, and they're smiling. Like, lions don't smile. This is a scary story. And so we're going to take a look at the events surrounding Daniel's experience and how he was faithful. So if you can stand with me here in our sanctuary or at home, wherever you're at, if you're in your car, don't stand, please, watching this on YouTube. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 1, the opening few verses, as we set the stage. This is what God's word tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that, they, so that the king might suffer no loss. In verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Amazing, right? Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint, because haters going to hate, complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Watch this. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was what? Faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, call an executive order, essentially, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This is God's word. You can be seated, church. The stage is set for an altercation for Daniel, a man who had followed God his whole life. If you recall, when he was but a youth, a teenager, he was taken from his homeland as a slave to be exiled in a foreign land called Babylon. But God gave him favor and caused him to, to, to increase through the ranks of the Babylonian kingdom. And here, as Babylon's conquered by the Medes and Persians, even still, God is giving this man favor. We're going to see in Daniel's life different ways that he was faithful. We see that King Darius, which seems to be another name for Cyrus, the king of the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, established 120 people called satraps. They were men who oversaw different portions of the kingdom. And over those 120 satraps were three high officials. And it says Daniel was one of those three high officials. But he was the most distinguished of those three. 
He stood out so much so that the king of the greatest empire in all that region, if not the whole earth, sought to make Daniel second only to him in power. That's a significant thing. And the people there, the other government officials, started to hate on Daniel. Now, naturally, when someone gets a promotion, they wanted that promotion for themselves. But there seems to be a deeper reason they despised Daniel, and it was related to the fact of his faithfulness, of the kind of man that he was. And so they quickly wanted to devise a plan to trip him up. They wanted to see God's servant fall from where he was at. Now, I want us to just do a quick side note for all of us in this room to not be naive. Even to this day, the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whoever he could to devour. And you are not beyond that. The devil is not too busy for you to send one of his minions And I just want us to know that when we strive to be faithful to God, our faith will be attacked. Daniel exemplifies this very right reality. But the first thing we're going to see from Daniel in terms of how he lived out his faithfulness is how he responds to these pressures. See, faithfulness, the measure by which we should measure our lives, for Daniel meant, first of all, to fight for integrity when he was staring down compromise. That's the first thing we see in Daniel's life, that Daniel fought for his integrity, even when those around him were compromising, and they wanted to see him do the same thing. So they wanted to find a way to get Daniel to get off track, and they look at his life, and watch this. They said they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. What they discovered and what they knew about Daniel is that Daniel was a man of integrity and that this man fought for his integrity even when people around him were compromising. Daniel is the kind of faithful person that you and I are called to be. And we see that they understand why Daniel was faithful. Look what it says there in verse 4. They could find no ground of a complaint or, or, or any fault because he was faithful. Now, for one, for sure, he was faithful to the king of Persia. Daniel was a trustworthy man. The king knew that Daniel was not going to try to subvert his authority, so that's why the king wanted to put him in authority over others. But there was something else that the people needed to understand that you and I need to know, is that Daniel was faithful to the king because he was ultimately faithful to his king, the king of kings. See, Daniel's faithfulness was such that he lived out his life of faithfulness because he was marked by his faithfulness to his God. When he, let me put it this way, his faith was so real in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that it began to change the way he lived his life. It affected the way he talked. It affected the way he walked. So that when people saw his public life, they saw no reason for for blame. And then when he looked at his private life, they saw the same. No reason for blame. Daniel models the very kind of life God is calling you and I to live in, especially in these days. One of faithfulness and of integrity. Integrity is who you are when no one's watching. And integrity is who you are when people are watching. It's not one or the other. If you're just one of integrity in private, but not in public, then you are compromising your faith. If you appear to have integrity only in public, but not in private, then you're being hypocritical about your faith. But integrity is something God calls us to be in terms of where we are and when we're private and in public. But this is the beautiful thing. God knows that we can't be people of integrity just by searching deep and and causing it to come on out. Because when you search deep into your soul, what you're going to find is actually compromise and sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus, God gives us his Holy Spirit, regenerates our lives, gives us a new life, so that actually what's within now is God's Spirit, who then working through us can cause us to be men and women who walk in integrity. This is what God is calling us to be, and that's what Daniel led his life. When I think of people of integrity in the Bible, I think of someone like Job. 
In Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. What a description of him. I, I think of Noah, who in Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Or think of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who in Luke 1, verses 5 and 6 says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You see, these people of Scripture were not perfect people. They were quite far from it. In fact, many of these people, you can see flaws in their lives. But we also understand is they understood that they were called to be faithful, to fight for integrity, even when they were being surrounded by compromise. America, our nation, needs the people of God to walk with integrity. Our world is so broken, church, and compromise surrounds you and I. And when we give in to the world's patterns, we start compromising ourselves. You see, all of us need to think, where is it in our lives personally where I am most vulnerable to compromise? Where is it in my life that I'm most susceptible to giving in to my fleshly desires? If you don't know that answer, you're in great trouble. We've got to know ourselves, and as it was one friend of ours, a pastor friend says, we cannot become strangers to our own soul. We've got to know where we're most susceptible. Because what happens is, if we are only following God in private, but then on social media we're someone else, we're not fighting for integrity. When we're, when we're someone in private, but when we go to school we're someone else, Or when we're in private following the Lord, but we're at work, we're someone else. We're not representing our God. And Daniel here is somebody who both in private and in public was lining up as one who followed God faithfully. And so what the people around Daniel wanted to do, they they wanted him to deviate his devotion in order to derail his character. Because they understood if they could separate him from his God, they could separate him from his character. This is that covering, church. When we step outside of God's, uh, God's ways, when we step outside of his path and will for our life, we make ourselves vulnerable. We begin to derail our faith and become uh, in danger of deviating from our character. Daniel was faithful because he fought for integrity, even when staring down compromise. Man, our, our, our world needs to see us, church, being those who are radical on our following Jesus. So what did the people do here? They realized that they're, they're not going to trip up Daniel. They're not going to find something in his life, which is pretty remarkable. So they said, you know, let's get together and find a way to trap him according to his devotion to his God. So they said, let's do this. Let's, create, let's, let's convince the king to create a law that doesn't allow for anyone to pray to any other God or person except for the king for 30 days. They come to the king. This sounds like a great plan to the king because he just conquered the Babylonian empire. He's trying to consolidate his authority. And so now there's an injunction, a, a, an executive order saying you can't pray to anyone or look to anyone but to the king or come to a God through the king. So ultimately, their authority is the king. The king's like, hey, great plan, signs the injunction, it's there. And now the crisis in the story really begins to heat up. What's Daniel going to do? What's this faithful man of God going to do when the very practices he practices of being a man of, of prayer are now in danger? What does Daniel do? One well, verse 10, we're told this. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. When I read this, I start wondering, like, hey, Daniel, you could have just kept the windows closed, bro. Turn off the lights, 
get into the corner where no one can see you from the outside and just keep praying to God. Like, you won't get in trouble. You'll be good. You can get that high-ranking thing. Are you asking this question with me? Like, did you have to go on the second floor of your apartment, open up your windows, and bow your knees before the windows to your God? Like, did you have to do that, Daniel? Well, the answer to that question is actually yes. And it's actually in our text here. Because Daniel was a faithful man. Not only did faithfulness mean fighting for integrity, but secondly, faithfulness means remaining prayerful even when pressure mounts. Because the answer to why Daniel chose to open the window and bow down before God in front of a window for everyone to see is right there in verse 10. It says he did this three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, I know all you guys know about your neighbor's rhythms, right? You know when your neighbors go to work. You know when your neighbors come home from work. You probably even know when your neighbors have tacos. You know when they barbecue. Like, you know it sometimes because you, you just see it. You're around them so much that we're, even there's times we're like, oh, they're barbecuing on Monday. They normally do that on Wednesdays, right? It's creepy. Don't deny it. I know you know other people's rhythms. That's what happens when, you're, when you live so close to each other. You see what people are doing, and when they do something out of the ordinary, you're like, well, that was different. They don't normally, whatever it is. Daniel knew that the people in his city saw him every morning, every afternoon, and every evening open up his second floor windows, bow his knees down, and pray to his God. He knew that they saw him. And he knew, therefore, that if he chose to not do that, they would sit there in their homes and be like, hmm, I guess his God is not worth it. But what Daniel decided is that his God was so worth it that he was willing to compromise his own comfort and give up his own security so that people could know that his God was worth bowing down for no matter what the cost. I don't know if y'all are hearing me here, church family, because that's an amen. Daniel was refusing to give in to these pressures because it said something about the God he worshipped. He wanted them to know that there was no cost too great to cause him to compromise his God. And so what Daniel does, he throws open his windows knowing the edict, knowing that that's going to land him in a pit of lions. And just for the record, lions aren't cute and cuddly, right? They don't smile. I like lion documentaries, actually. I enjoy Discovery Channel because I enjoy seeing a lion hunt. I enjoy seeing those lionesses crawl through the grass. You know what I'm talking about, where they have their backbones kind of moving like this, right? And they get closer and closer. You're like, how come that wildebeest does not see them? And it says that when they're about 100 feet away, 30 meters, that's when they jump on their prey. We enjoy watching that. We enjoy seeing how a lioness pack will come and isolate the weak, the weak wildebeest and attack that thing. Or when they get something in the grass, they're not going to let it go. Lions destroy. That's where Daniel was going to be thrown to. And yet he opened his window. For Daniel, this wasn't so much a temptation about a sin to commit as as it was a temptation for a task to omit. Would he omit prayer from his life? And here he says, I'm not. And Daniel prayed a thirsty prayer that day. One of our core values here at the Brook is thirsty prayers because thirsty prayers express our longing for God. That's the kind of prayers we prayed on Wednesday in our community. That's the kind of prayers God's calling us to pray every day. Thirsty prayers saying, God, I need you. Daniel remained prayerful when the pressure mounted, and that's what faithfulness looked like to him. Real quick, I I can't overlook this. I want to give you real quick six observations about Daniel's praying here, right quick. Because I find these things to be remarkable. Six observations about his prayer life. The first thing I want you to see here is that home was a haven. Home was a sanctuary for him. 
Home was a safe place that he knew he can get into to pray. And I just want to exhort you all to protect your homes. Be careful what you let into your house. Don't allow garbage into your house. How do you let garbage in? It's by what you watch on your TV. It's about what you put on your devices when you're in, in your room. It's about what's blaring through your speakers as you're making dinner. Be, be leery. Be weary of what you're allowing into your home. Because home should be a sanctuary. And for some of you, home can't be that. You're saying, it's not in my power. I'm not the one who, who controls the temperature of my house. And if that's where you're at, I'm sorry to hear that. But I still want to say, well, make your bedroom that. Make your closet that if you got to. What is that, that, like Daniel had that window of opportunity to commune with God in your house? For Daniel, home was a haven. You got to have that space. Second thing, Daniel's prayer life was one that was marked by longing for revival. And you're looking there like, man, where, where is that in the state? I don't see him longing for revival here. What does it say? It says he opened his windows and in his upper chamber toward where? Jerusalem, and he got down his knees and prayed there. Now, why would Daniel pray toward Jerusalem? Is it just because, like, oh, I wish I can go back home? Maybe. Or maybe it's because he understood what happened when King Solomon built the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, after King Solomon had established the temple, he prayed and he exhorted God's people, and he said this, when heaven is shut up, and there is no rain because they've sinned against you, God. If they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sins of your servants. Solomon says, if there is a famine in the land or, or if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each according to the affliction of his own heart, is stretching out his hands toward this house, this temple in Jerusalem. Then he says, God, hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act. What Solomon says when he builds the temple is saying, God, when your people go astray, and you've got to stretch out your hand to discipline them, whether it be through a famine or a drought or another nation conquering them. When they humble themselves and turn their eyes toward Jerusalem and pray, God, would you act and forgive and revive them? That's what Solomon says. And so Daniel is here with his eyes towards Jerusalem where that temple had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's there praying, longing for God to revive and bring forgiveness to his people. That's the second observation about Daniel's prayer life. And that's a cue we got to take for our own longing for God to act. Thirdly, his posture was one of humility. He was on his knees. He came empty-handed. Fourthly, he had planned prayers. He prayed three times a day. Look, praying spontaneously is good. Praying without ceasing is good. But have some planned prayer times. For Daniel's morning, afternoon, and evening. Plan for that. God, for five minutes every morning, or ten minutes every morning, and then at lunch, and then right before bed, I'm going to pray. That's what Daniel did. Fifthly, he prayed with gratitude. It says, it says there in verse 10, he gave thanks before his God. This is a man who's giving thanks, knowing he's going to get thrown into a lion's den. This is a man who understands that his God is still worthy of gratitude and praise. I think we have reasons for thankfulness and prayer. As that song that we sing says, there are at least 10,000 reasons. What are your reasons for thankfulness? I want you to think about those. What are one, two, three reasons that you are thankful for? Now, now go ahead and tell me them. Where you're at, shout them out, shout them out. Freedom, what else? Come on. Yes, bring them. Come on, keep going. There's at least 10,000 of them, right? Come on, online, you better be saying them at home, right? 
There are 10,000 reasons. Let them be on your lips as a ways of prayer to God. Daniel did that. And then we're told that he gives God his petition and plea there in verse 12. We'll look at it in a moment. I'm sorry, verse 11. His petition and plea. He's bringing his requests to God. See, Daniel was a man who remained prayerful when the pressure mounted, and that's how he was marked in his faithfulness, as a man of integrity and a man of prayer. And there we see in verse 11 that his accusers, they saw him doing what they thought he would do and are ready to turn him in. Now, here's something I want, I want you to notice. This, is, this blew me away. When they made this injunction, it does not appear, though, that they thought Daniel would choose to not pray. Uh, let me say it in a different way. When they said that anyone who prays to their God would get thrown to the lion's end, it does not appear that they expected Daniel to stop praying. They showed up at his house to catch him praying. They didn't think he would compromise his faith because they knew he was a man of integrity. They were just looking for a reason to get him into the lion's den. Could you imagine that? Someone who is so persistent in their faith that even in such a kind of injunction being set up against them, they know that, hey, they're going to remain faithful to their God because I've seen this person through it all. They, came, they stay faithful. That was Daniel's reputation, y'all. The enemies of the faith will see the devotion of the saints if we are devoted. And Daniel was. He was faithful in his integrity, in his prayer life. But there's a third way. There's a third way. Daniel was faithful, and it was demonstrated by him trusting God's sovereignty even when the outlook was bleak. Much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who knew they could be thrown in a burning, fiery furnace in Daniel 3. But they said, God could deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. Here Daniel's like, hey, look, you throw me into the lines, and God could deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to keep praying. So these satraps, these high officials, they come excited to the king. They're like, yo, we got this guy. They tell the king, hey, look, didn't you say this? Didn't you put this into writing? All right, so there's this guy named Daniel. You might know him. Oh, yeah, the guy you're going to make second in charge of your kingdom. Yeah, that guy, he's praying to his God. And by the way, that thing you signed, it can't be revoked. And by sundown today, he's got to end up in that lion's den, right, king? In verse 14, the king, it says, when he heard these words, was much distressed. He was distressed because he admired Daniel, and he was probably distressed because he knew these guys duped him. He was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's trying to find any kind of loophole he can. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said, nah, uh, no, O king, that it is the law. This can't be changed. And in verse 16, the king commanded when his time was up and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Wow. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversion was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The king is distressed. He found no way to rescue Daniel. And here's this high official that he admires and trusts. He's got to throw into a pit of lions. Seals it up with a stone. No one's coming in. And the only way anyone's coming out is that stone is rolled. And there Daniel is thrown overnight. It says no diversion there in verse 18 was brought to the king. That word diversion carries idea of it could be either uh, any kind of distraction, whether it be food or music or entertainment. And the king is like, put it all aside. I'm too much in anguish right now. Because here's this man in a pit. Daniel knew this would be the outcome of his praying. Daniel knew this would be the outcome of being vocal about his faith. But he trusted God and his sovereign plan no matter what. I know that there are consequences for you living out your faith, church. There are consequences for you to speak the truth of who you are in Jesus. 
There are consequences involved, and sometimes it's rejection. Sometimes it's insult. Sometimes it's being canceled. But will you trust in God's sovereign hand, or will you compromise when things are looking bleak? Daniel stared down a lion's den and was ready to embrace it. The king, it says, prays. He spent the night fasting. We don't know who he was praying to. His gods, Daniel's God, who knows? But we knew the king needed something to happen. At daybreak, early the next morning, the king arises and goes in haste to the lion's den, removes the stone, and he asks a question. The fact that he asks a question demands that if there's an answer, something supernatural happened. Because lions don't talk. And it says that the king does this. It says, he cried out in a tone of anguish in verse 20. He said, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? What a question. And what a statement. Is your God, whom you serve continually, Was he able to deliver you? The king's question causes us to remember that when we serve God continually, we say something about what he's able to do. And the king is there wondering. And in this circumstance, God allows there to be an answer from the den. O king, live forever, verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you O king I have done no harm talk about representing his God Daniel is there in the den of lions saying these national geographic kind of guys here around me they did nothing these these hunters that didn't need to hunt didn't devour me because God sent his angel to shut them up And there, God had done the supernatural. Daniel trusted God's sovereignty even when the outlook was bleak. No matter what the consequence would be, he says, I'm going to hold down my faith. That's faithfulness, church family. And that's what God wants to measure our lives through. Will we fight for integrity? Will we remain prayerful? Will we trust in God? No matter what comes our way. That's how we are to measure success. That's that covering over our life. God's saying, will you walk with me? So what does the king do in response there? Well, he takes those who accuse Daniel, he throws them into the lion's den in verse 24. And not only them, but their whole families. I'm like, yo, that's pretty hard right there, man. And it says this. They were cast into the den of lions, verse 24. They, their children, and their wives... And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in, in pieces. Those were not like lions that were, that they didn't eat Daniel because they were full. They did, they did not eat him. So it's not like they're like, oh, you know what? We already ate. They were hungry. And they devoured these people. God did a miracle. And then the king declares in verse 26 that a new decree would be made. In all his royal dominion, the people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That's what our God does, church. That's what our God does. You can give our God a hand clap. When I see Daniel, I just say, God, I just want to be faithful. I want to fight for integrity. God, I, 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 want, to, I want to remain prayerful. I want to trust your sovereignty. Because you, my God, alone are able to deliver and rescue and save, as Darius said. But one of the beautiful things about Old Testament scriptures is that the Old Testament always points to a greater reality that is still yet to come. Because 500 years later, there would be another one who was in a den of sorts. 
and a stone would be rolled in front of his den. And it was not a den of lions, but a den of death where our Savior Jesus Christ was laid. And there in that den, his body, beaten, bruised, and torn, laid, placed in a tomb. Jesus Christ had died for our sins and there laid lifeless. A stone rolled in front. Death had appeared to win. Hell rejoiced. Demons clapped. And Satan, that serpent of old, that thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that roaring lion who seeks to devour, thought he was victorious, church family. But just as Darius came to that stone early the next morning, early on Sunday morning, that stone also was rolled. That stone was put away. And just as Daniel walked out of that lion's den, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, walked out of that tomb. He defeated death, he defeated Satan, and he defeated sin. That's what our God has come to do. This Jesus Christ walked out of the den of death. And Christ is our substitute then. He could take our place because he did that. Christ is our life because he defeated death. Christ is our propitiation, which means he satisfied the wrath of God. Christ is the victor because he silenced Satan. He is the living Christ, the one who rolled the stone, who delivered God calls us to be faithful because our God is faithful. And when we were stuck in our sin, he delivered us. And so we can now walk in his power. We can walk and fight for integrity because our God is worth it. We can remain prayerful because our God is worth it. And we can trust him because he's reliable. That's the God we serve. The question then for you is what does your life say about God? Daniel's life said is, my God is worth it. Let it be said of us that our lives say the same thing. If you are here today, if you're watching online, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, what I mean by faith, I mean you trust him to be the forgiver of your sins, the one who can give you eternal life. If you believe that he died for you and you turn from that sin, that's called repentance. God offers you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness. And he will adopt you into his family as his daughter, as his son. And says, you belong to me now. And I will be that covering over your life. No matter how much those tornado-like winds come, I will hold you down. Church families, walk under that covering. Let's trust our God and not deviate under the pressures and hold fast to our God even when we're in the lion's den. Faithfulness, let that be what we aim for. Let that be the thing that we strive for no matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will pierce bone from marrow, God, flesh from bone. And Lord, some of us today needed this piercing. Maybe we've just looked at our lives and we're just saying, God, I feel like it's just a big mess. And and you're saying, "Just, just trust me. Just come to me. Be faithful. I got your back. Father, for that woman, that youth, that man who's listening and I just feel like they've failed you, God. I pray they would repent, they'd ask your forgiveness, and then receive your forgiveness, God. And be able to leave today with a fresh start, a new reality that you are God and your mercies are new. God, our world needs your church to rise up. There is so much at stake. God, I pray that we would not get caught up in the games of the world, in the politics, in deciding with, with, with ideas and worldviews and peoples who are contrary to you just to get some other idea or thing that we like forward. God, 
It is not the game we're called to play, Lord. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Time is short. And we don't have time to argue about things that don't have lasting value. God, I pray that we would invest our lives into your work, that our speech would be seasoned with your grace and compassion, God. God, I pray that we would walk with integrity and that our world won't be able to say, look at you, look at, look at all the things that you say and do that are against what you're saying here. And Lord, when we, we do fail, I pray that we'd be quick to say, I got it wrong. My God forgives me. Would you forgive me? Lord, I pray that we would just let our lives be seasoned with you, with grace and with courage and wisdom. to our feet. Our God is powerful, church family. No matter what wounds have been created in your life through rebellion and through others, God can touch our lives. He can heal our lives and he can give us a new course. So as we sing this final song, let this be a song of of, of praise, a song of prayer that expresses the burden of our heart. Let's lift up our voices together. Isaiah 41.10 It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the God of Daniel offering you that same promise. So don't fear, but go out in his strength. You are dismissed, church family. For those online, God bless you. We look forward to seeing you all again as we worship again next week. 